Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, today is November 1st, 2019. I am dubbing today Reunion Day. Do you want to know why? I do want to know why. There's the reunion of one emo band named My Chemical Romance. And there's uh-huh. the reunion of the Mets and Carlos Beltran. What other reunions do we have in the world? What other do we, reunions do we want to see in the world? More importantly, because those are two very important ones to me personally. But I imagine maybe not quite as important to you or the listener. So I'm, I'm opening the floor to you. What reunions do you want to see in the world? Who needs to come back to the A's? Maybe Jose Canseco? Yeah? No? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's where my mind went, too. I mean, you and I are uh, are recording this podcast, uh, video chatting each other for the first time ever. So, in a sense, it's a sort of uh, visual reunion for us, having, never pod- having not podcasted face-to-face in uh, quite a few months at this point. So, you know, that, that counts, right? I think that counts. Um, the video chat thing, I'm still getting used to. I, I think it's a good suggestion. This was this suggestion was made by Phoebe. But, um, you know, we could have been doing this the whole time. We're acting like we've made some breakthrough in technology yeah. that we can talk to each other yeah. face-to-face like it's 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of this thing called Skype? It's wild. <laughs> Shout out Google Hangouts. It works better than Skype. Uh, if there are any reunions that need to be made in the world or are being made in the baseball world, uh, please do not hesitate to let us know over here at Tipping Pitches. We are going to talk about the Mets and Carlos Beltran. We are going to talk about the World Series, which just so happened to end since we podcasted last. I think our last podcast was before the series even started, so we're doing a good job keeping everyone up to date. I hope no one's coming to us for their news. <laughs> um, I think I think at this point, like 97 episodes in or whatever, we can be pretty sure that no one's coming to us for that. We're coming up on 100, which it feels like we need to come up with a plan. We don't have that long to come up with a plan, so maybe you, no, should, you and don't. I should talk hashtag off mic about that. Yeah. But no, we're notoriously not very good for about actually discussing what we're going to talk about until we sit down to record the podcast. But that one might require a little bit of foresight. Yeah, it makes this whole thing like a two-hour affair where we're like, do we want to talk about this? Do we want to talk about that? What's even <laughs> going on our three of three down list? Um, we are going to, of course, do three up, three down, a retrospective on the 2019 season in that segment. Um, we obviously have to talk about the Mets, Carlos Beltran, the Washington Nationals winning the goddamn World Series. I can't believe it. Um, but before we get into all of that fun, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. I'm struggling to find a way to start this segment off other than just the Nationals won the World Series. Like, I feel like we could just keep repeating that back and forth to each other. Yeah, they fucking did. They (laughs) did the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really good baseball and really fun World Series overall. I just want to say that Um, there was a bit of a it was a bit of a lull. It kind of felt like in some of the middle games that were certainly not as close. Yes, basically. (laughs) (laughs) The bad guys winning. Not fun, but the Nationals, an incredibly fun team. And the Astros, a really formidable opponent. Uh, I think we got the the pitching matchups that we all thought we would get. And uh, and we got a lot of shows from some fun young players like like one Juan Soto who uh who became a full-fledged adult in the middle of this world series and uh and is I'm sure is cheersing on on some beach somewhere right now so so shouts out to him a full-fledged adult in like the legal sense like he can drink now is that what you're saying or are you saying like he grew up in this series like as a baseball <laughs> player <laughs> <laughs> today's the day he finally became a man uh, Today's no, the day he, Juan Soto became the left fielder for the Washington Nationals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he he became 21, and mostly that's um, a really depressing thing to think about uh, myself being uh, older than that. Uh, but you know, he 
and players like Alex Bregman and a lot of the other young players who graced us with their presence during this World Series made this just such an enjoyable and enjoyable experience. Yeah, I will say you could make the case that Juan Soto is a full-fledged adult because he can drink now, but that would mean we are two years removed from becoming full-fledged adults, which certainly is not accurate. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> um, he's maybe a little bit more poised and composed than you and I were and are. Uh, however, yeah, you're right. I think, I mean, I think the large takeaway, right, is that the good guys did win, despite the fact that I was rooting for the Astros <laughs> about a week ago when we started this podcast. And um, did you, I can, can I ask you real quick at any point throughout the series, do you think you felt your allegiances shift a little bit? Like by the end, were you like excited about the nationals, at least happy for them? Were you full on just pulling for them? How'd you, how'd you feel? What was your walk me through your emotional state over the week? Uh, there, you know, there's like a very political answer to this, which is that like, yeah, I, w- I was happy for them. Um, I'm happy for their fans. I know a lot of nationals fans like personally. So I'm happy for all of those people that, I get to be one degree removed from watching someone experience their team winning a world series since it seems like I'm never going to get that. But um, I still wanted the Astros to win. I can't lie. I mean, like, <laughs> I like all of their players a lot. The nationals are a division rival. You know, t- today there was like the story that came out that was like, the nationals are going to the white house. And the only person who said he's not going to the white house so far is Sean Doolittle, um, you know, icon of the pod. But so it's like there's some clouded morality going on there in terms of who you rooted for. But I I have on 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 both sides (laughs) with both teams. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I I think it was pretty obvious which team the public kind of got behind because of what's gone on in the last couple of weeks, which you and I haven't even gotten a, a, a chance to talk about that at length because the Brandon Tobman story literally broke. We were t- literally broke as we were recording our last podcast. Like there was only one tweet and we didn't really get a chance to look into it and discuss it. Um, no, I was still rooting for the Astros. It's tough right. to watch I, all of the, that's fair. That's fair. It's tough to watch all of the other teams in your division have success. You know, yes. <laughs> I've now lived through a Marlins world series win, a Phillies world series win, a nationals world series win. And I guess the Braves have not done it since I've been alive, but seems like they're a little closer than the yeah, Mets are. Yeah, they're next. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, I am hoping that maybe my turn will come before I am buried, but I guess we'll I, see. Uh, I, I think it will. I think uh, I think there's a decent chance of that happening. I don't know. Other takeaways from the series? I mean, a lot of people were having the, is this Astros team the best team ever conversation? Um, I think the reactionary response to those conversations would be to just take them all back and say that it was too early to say all of that. It was, um, it was premature to crown them before they actually won the series. And I don't, I don't really think all of that is true. I think everything that we said about the Astros for the last six months and in the last two weeks and in our previewing of the series, I think remains true. I, I think it's more a testament to how good the nationals were as well. And also to just to the fact that like, the degrees of separation between the teams are much, 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 much less than other sports. And you can't really control what happens when you string together hits in a game seven against a bunch of really good relievers versus the Astros who stranded 11 guys on base. And that's just, that's it. That's the whole series right there. Yeah. Some, sometimes Howie Kendrick just hits a go ahead home run against one of your best relievers. And you can't, and no spreadsheet that you can come up with tells you that that's going to happen. You just have more to than with sometimes. That. How about the grand <laughs> slam that he hit in the DS? I know. I know. Howie Kendrick being the, the kind of cult hero of this, of these playoffs has been really one of the most uh, fun and enjoyable things to watch because I feel like he's the kind of player who never really got his due, bounced around from team to team and and stuck around and all, always had a really consistent skill set like we talked about, right? Like ha- ended the year with a 340 batting average and everyone was still kind of like, all right, but really Howie Kendrick? So the fact that he's getting his due on the national stage is, I don't know, pour one out for him. Batting average got Howie Kendrick. Well, like, so you're watching it and you see Howie Kendrick go opposite field. It dings off the foul pole and you're like, oh my God, 
this is their moment. Except then in the back of my head, there's this creeping thing that's like, is this maybe their Rajay Davis moment? And they're about to yeah. blow it the other direction because yeah. like it's almost, it would almost be too perfect narratively for like some kind of light hitting older guy who's bounced around team to team to have that home run. And it very much was reminiscent of Rajay Davis. But of course they tacked on a couple runs after that too, in parts who won Soto's uh, single. I don't know what other takeaways from this series, other reactions to the slew of narratives that have come out since before and during. I think that my, I mean, you know, there are a lot of small, like more baseball-y, like analytical takeaways, whether you want to talk about the decision not to bring in Garrett Cole or, I mean, Scherzer's incredible, like performance and gutting through, right? Like the one that you were texting me, like, why is he still in? And I was like, am I, am I the only one who thinks he should still be in here? Yes, that one. Um, so, and those were all important, I think. But really one of the biggest things that I, I came away with was how much <laughs> talk there was about like rules and umpires. And yeah. that seemed like it dominated so much of the conversation. You obviously had the really big um, play with Trey Turner at first base, the interference play that led to this bizarre, like possibly illegal replay review that they then just, they, <laughs> what, they kept the call the same. And Dave Martinez got tossed and almost murdered an umpire. Dave Martinez's um, poor heart, that ticker, yeah, man. I don't I know, know how it's hanging on. Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of talk about strike zones too, regrettably, I think, because that's the last thing that you want to happen on like the, the, in the biggest games of the year is the narrative to be sidelined by talks of rules and regulations. Right. So I don't know. It just feels like the kind of thing that MLB needs to take a more firm stance on because they're slowly shifting towards robot umpires while not exactly doing a whole lot to like defend the human umpires that are out there right now, you know, just kind of letting them fend for themselves. Yeah. You know, you know, it just occurred to me, they're definitely not going to call it robot umpires. They're definitely going to come up with some, um, like drawn out name for it. That's like an acronym, like the strike zone K zone, uh, yeah. Accuracy report meter. And it's going to have some weird like acronym that we have to call it by. Yeah, it's going to be like the the Statcast X Zone presented by AWS. <laughs> like that's exactly what it's going to be presented by Jeff Bezos's bald head. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You're right. And for someone, uh, as someone who did not get to watch Game Six live, uh, I was receiving about three dozen text messages from you and friend of the podcast Austin Zimmerman, which um, devolved is the word that I'm looking for into screenshots of the uh, MLB handbook, (laughs) the umpire's guide. But that was a little bit of a jarring experience to be like, what are we, what are we doing here? Are we trying to pass legislation? Are we trying to, when when Austin uh, started referencing his, uh, his umpire's Facebook page that he was in, I was like, all right, we're through the looking glass now. We've been through the looking glass this whole season. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I think there is something valuable to be thought about and conversed about, about the way that we are through the looking glass with baseball. Like every single thing is overanalyzed for better or for worse to the point that like, this is kind of like what I was trying to make my point about information overload a couple of weeks ago. There's no, there's no stance not to be had. Like there's no original opinion to think anymore. And there's no, uh, when it gets to when it comes to the playoffs, I guess, because, you know, people aren't watching like Royals Orioles in August. But when it comes to the playoffs, like there's no wow, just, just shade the Royals Orioles fan base. <laughs> Listen, the Royals just hired Mike Matheny and the Orioles, they're on their way up. But like we have to wait a little bit longer. I like the yeah, Orioles. True. They're fun. Yeah. Um, but no one is watching, you know, the, the <laughs> national fan base is not watching that, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to the playoffs, like there is literally no pitch that doesn't matter because Zach Greinke hangs one change up that Rendon hits it to the left field bleachers at, on a line. And suddenly like everything has changed about that game. You know, if they're winning four one at that point, instead of two one, or if 
that happens in the second inning and not the sixth inning. Like maybe Granky doesn't get pulled. And like, it feels like everybody is so obsessed with the baseball butterfly effect right now because you can fire off five tweets in the time that it takes to throw one pitch. And for that reason, the chatter around baseball is so like the best phrase I can think of is through the looking glass. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is like, these feel like very real and, and necessary conversations to have. And MLB does such a poor job, I think of mitigating them that fans are just kind of left to speculate and be like, what is the rule? I mean, you know, one of my favorite moments from the world series, one of the defining moments from the world series is, you know, amid that replay review, the hot mic catching Trey Turner, uh, pointing to Joe Torrey and saying, he's right there. He's right there. Just ask him. He's, <laughs> he's sitting right there with his head down, pretending not to look, right? <laughs> it's so and, funny that it's Joe Torrey, too. It like, can't yeah, just be some dude named Joe Smith. It has to be Joe Torrey. Yes. Joe Torrey. Yeah, the, the one and only. And, and on the one hand, maybe... Joe Torrey knows the ins and outs of every single like umpiring rule and call that's in the book. And maybe he doesn't. And I'm not exactly going to fault him either way for that. But the fact that like so much was left in the air that the players didn't know, the umpires didn't know, and neither did any of the fans that it's like, (laughs) you got to figure this shit out at some point. Right? Like I don't, I don't even care where you come down. Just like have a firm stance. It's all very little league. Right. Like where you have some 16 year old umpire who is calling crazy stuff. And then the head of um, the head of umpires for your your little league organization is like sitting in an office around the corner and everyone's like, he's just over there. Just go ask him. (laughs) It's like it's so funny how human nature still plays out in the World Series the same way that it would if you were an angry parent at a little league game Um, on on the tray. I want to say on the Trey Turner play specifically. I'm not going to do the full replay rant. I swear I'm not going to do the full (laughs) replay rant. But when you believe in instant replay existing at all, you're opening yourself up to this kind of call. Because once you go to instant replay, once you put a magnifying glass on a play, you have to interpret the rule as strictly as possible. Because you have the chance to look at it much closer than you did in real time. So much closer that you are now stepping on the spirit of the rule. It's the same way that when you slide into a bag and you pop off, you have to interpret it that way because if you're the fielder, you're tagging the guy and he's not on the base. So how can he be safe? But if you're the slider, you popped off because of like physics. So when you, as soon as you introduce instant replay and you introduce this infinitesimal, this very precise cameras, you are opening a can of worms and you're forcing the umpires to actually follow the letter of the law, despite the fact that the replay review in this specific instance should not have happened at the, in the first place. Yes. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that just comes with the territory, right? I mean, you're going to litigate everything down to like the, the thousandth decimal point. And if that's the sport that you want, fine. Yeah. We don't, I, uh, we've rehashed this conversation so many times and it feels pointless to do it on the heels of a, of a really fun and exciting world series. But it is a bummer that these were like very real things that we were talking about in the midst of like some of the most tense and exciting moments of the year. Well, you have to talk about it because that could have, that play could have changed the entire course of the series. The Astros could yes. have won that night. Yeah just get rid of instant replay and you fix that problem. You don't have to get mad anymore, (laughs) but of course you'll get mad about stuff on the flip side. I understand. Uh, You could also just put a a safety bag at first and he wouldn't have to be even remotely in the base path, but that's an entirely different and too easy conversation to have. (laughs) All right. Before we move on from the world series, um, I want to talk to you about the way the Nats built their team. And I guess sort of the way the Astros built their team. Um, because there's this thing that happens in sports and in baseball specifically where once you see a team win a World Series or where you see a plan come to fruition and be successful, um, where other teams try to... There's like a copycat effect. Other teams try to build. So like the the Royals had the bullpen where they only asked their starters to go five innings and then they would bring in four or five super relievers to get guys out, all guys throwing 98 or... You know, you had the loogies in the pen who did what they needed to do. And I think 
a lot of teams tried to, I guess, copy that, or that was the narrative, even though I mean, I think a lot of teams were trending towards that way either way. Um, But I was having a conversation with some people and I was asking them if, uh, if any teams are going to take a lesson away from this nationals team or from this Astros team, because there are two teams built largely around starting pitching. The bullpen was the weakness of the team. Their offenses were both very good. The Astros offense was better despite the fact that they ended up losing. And I asked, I'm like, so are we just going to go back to starters now? Is the Royals model over? Is everyone going to try to sign a bunch of really good starters, have five guys that can go, can pitch on their throw day, can pitch on short rest, can pitch out of the bullpen, all that stuff. And basically everyone was like, no. And I was like, well, why? Because it worked for two separate teams. And the, the, the flip side of that coin is that the Yankees have lost trying to bullpen for the last four years running. And I snarkily tweeted from the Tipping Pitches account. I was like, who could have ever foreseen that signing Patrick Corbin at a premium price would help a team get over the hump? But I think it is it does lie within that snarky tweet in that teams don't want to spend for starting pitchers. So they'll only follow trends that are conveniently cheap enough for them to actually afford. I think any team in baseball could do what the Nats did this postseason to get a bunch of really good starters employ a plan where they're going to throw those guys on their throw day and just use them to the maximum of their potential. And that would make it worth signing guys for $200 million. But it's just hard to stomach for owners and GMs the fact that they have so much money in one area of the team, I think. Yeah, I I, I do think that there's a certain amount of luck involved with it. I mean, you're you're banking on Max Scherzer you're banking on what, like a 36 year old Max Scherzer, uh, just still kind of retaining his form and not getting injured, which he obviously did down the stretch. Um, that and, was nuts, by the way. Yes, just a little sidebar: nuts. the fact that he couldn't even get dressed. Playing yes. baseball is dumb, and I don't know why we asked people to do it, but it's great, also. Yeah, yeah, and and a guy like Steven Strasburg. I mean, the the Nats obviously. And the Astros to a certain extent, but more more so the Nats obviously uh, used their strategy of like only throwing five pitchers the whole postseason. Like I saw some stat that it was like you know those five or six pitchers pitched like eighty five percent of the Nationals innings this postseason. They literally carried like six relievers who didn't even get in a single game. Yes, yeah, but so like yes, I think you're I think you're right in the sense that like if teams were really willing to like commit to building their team around this, they, they probably could. And it would require owners to open up their pockets, obviously. And also require to think um, some savvy, like drafting, right? Like Steven Strasburg wasn't signed. He was drafted Scherzer. The nationals traded for when he was good, but not great. I mean, he, he, it was with the nationals that he really peaked, um, and same with like a guy like Garrett Cole, right? I mean, the, Nas- the Astros built this super rotation, but I-, I think nobody except for maybe the Astros themselves knew what they were getting in Garrett Cole. Um, <laughs> they they clearly saw some wasted potential with the Pirates. Um, so yes, I think you're you're right, and it'll be interesting to see how teams take this going forward. I'm still skeptical. I feel like what we've learned is that at the end of the day, like revenue trumps any sort of long-term baseball strategy. Um, But you know, I've been wrong before. Yeah. Well, I think, I do think that 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 argument actually holds some weight. Like if one of those pitchers that you just named got hurt in August and missed the rest of the season, the Nats would have lost in the first series to the Dodgers. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah, because sure. They would like, have been Scherzer, throwing out Scherzer Wander did, Suero. Scherzer did get hurt, right? And it was kind of this like weird um, thing where he was out for you know about a month or so, and what was it, his back? And there were these questions about like you know what is he going to be when he came back? And he looked really rusty when he came back. And maybe, yeah, like you're saying, like if he if that doesn't work out, if he's just not himself down the stretch, like this doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I still think the the lesson is spend more money for players. Uh, okay, sure. Let's talk about Carlos Beltran really quickly, and then we'll take a break, and then go three up, three down. I feel good, baby. Yeah, you do. I feel great. 
You're excited about this. I am. Yeah, I think it's a good hire. Like, far be it for me to try to predict how a manager is going to act. Like, I don't know what's in Carlos Beltran's heart and soul. Was he like begging for analytics reports when he was a player? Was he, is he like some super smart baseball strategy whiz that I don't know about? I mean, you can't know those things about a player. All I know is everything that I've read from the teams that he's spent time with since the Mets and the people who knew him when he was with the Mets. And that being that largely being like the Houston Astros. So he spent a lot of time there as a, or he spent some time there as a player in his final year. And we talked about the story about when they uh, retired his glove because he stood no <laughs> chance of pl- playing in the outfield anymore. So he was only a DH and a pinch hitter. Yeah. Um, but like he's seen a bunch of different clubhouses he was raised in the uh, sabermetric era. You know, he went from being, he, and he lasted through all of those teams. And I'm almost like encouraged by the fact that like he ended up on the Astros after all of that. And he saw the ratification of their principles, like their analytical principles being applied to a team that won a World Series. So obviously, I'm projecting a lot onto him as a person. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important part is that he is well-liked by everyone that he's ever been around, pretty much, by all the organizations, the players who have spoken about him. He is a Latino manager. He's bilingual, which is something that we've talked about is like one of the craziest things that teams don't factor in when they're hiring, because almost half of Major League Baseball speaks Spanish as their primary language. So in order to do the the classic connect with players thing that is required of a manager. You have to be able to speak their language or at least try. Um, and he's had a little bit of experience since he stopped playing. He's been a front office advisor for the Mets and the Yankees since he retired. So there, we talk a lot about like the New York media thing. We can just check that box and not have to talk about it again. He did it for a really long time. He knows how to do it. He's well liked. Um, and frankly, I'm just excited to hear uh, how different announcers try to pronounce his name because God. everybody wants to try. I'm Bel- not. Everybody wants to say Beltron, but there's an accent over there. So it's Beltron, but we're probably going to fuck it up too from time to time. So oh, I'm certain we will. It's just like a whole thing where like announcers and media people, like once they find out how they're supposed to be pronouncing it, they can't just say it normally. They have to be like Beltron. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, my mom and I have a running joke about that, but I'm excited for 2020, the New York Mets season. Maybe, uh, maybe Pete and Carlos will strike up a, a friendship to last the ages. Yeah, that's who says they won't. I it feels like it. It very much feels like this is a. And I texted this to you before we talked about this, but it, it feels like a move by our boy Brody Van Wagenen to kind of appease, appease Mets fans to a certain extent coming off of a disappointing year, obviously bringing in like a hometown favorite to kind of, um, I don't know, appease the crowds a little bit is, I mean, that's not a bad idea at all. I do feel like it's the kind of thing that in, in a sense, he could be staking his reputation on just because like, it's the kind of thing where this could absolutely work out and Beltron could be a fine manager. He could be a great manager. I mean, he doesn't have to be great to like stick around. That's fine. But like if this goes fired at Terry Collins, (laughs) (laughs) but if this goes South, you know, and he doesn't have a job by, you know, 2021 or the middle of that year or whatever, like it'll reflect, I feel kind of, poorly on on Brody's judgment uh it's a bold move I guess like no one can dispute that no one knows how these types of things turn out when you put players who have never managed before into the the hot seat right so I'm excited Beltron is a was an absolutely fun player to to watch and I'm I think he'll be an, a fun manager you know always yeah and he's the first as you mentioned he's a latino manager he's the first mets uh latino manager he's the fourth puerto rican manager in the mob right now so that's that's good on its face um here's the cynics take 
The cynic's take is that Carlos Beltran played with the Mets for a long time, which means he knows the fucked up way that the front office has to bend the knee to the Wilpons, which means he is already coming in with that knowledge base of what he's going to have to deal with. Uh, that's number one. Number two, he's already rich, and the Wilpons probably are not paying him as much as they would have had to pay Joe Madden or Joe Girardi. The, uh, I mean, I guess Madden was never truly rumored to the Mets. Girardi was heavily rumored to the Mets. Um, but I, I think like the cynical view is they didn't want to pay for Girardi, who was an established manager who could command more money and didn't play as long or as recently as Carlos Beltran. Uh, I don't really put a ton of weight into all of that. Like, I don't, I guess I don't really care how much the manager is making. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just want nice things to happen to Carlos. Yeah. And I'm hoping that we can experience nice things together. He's a guy (laughs) that I'm fine tying my lot to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it'll be interesting also to see kind of how this reflects on his legacy with the Mets because he has been built up so much, rightfully so, by this fan base. And, you know, if he flames out as a manager, like, how does that, how does that change someone's view on him? You know, I mean, I'm sure someone like you, um, or myself, like those things are two completely I mean, they're completely independent of each other. If he's a bad manager, fine. I would be a bad manager too. That doesn't change my opinion. But (laughs) my guess is there's a large portion of the fan base that would, you know, just as quickly turn on him as anyone else. So there's a large portion of the fan base who already hates him for taking strike three called in the 2007 NLCS game seven against the Cardinals. Yeah. So we're starting off on the right foot then. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's take a quick break. Come back. We're going to do a little retrospective on three up, three down for this whole season. Um, and we're going to update our list as well. All right. Are you ready for a little flashback Friday? Give it to me. Oh, it's Friday. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. perfect. (laughs) This podcast is not going to come out till Saturday, so welcome to the past, listener. Uh, Okay, here are the nine things that kicked off my list when we first started this segment. If you're a new listener, this is a thing that we started in the 2019 season, which was a way to talk about smaller stories that aren't just like labor and racism and misogyny which plague the the baseball world we wanted to talk about smaller things that may, maybe weren't like long full segments so it's a power ranking of the nine things that we are thinking about in the baseball world and we take three off every week and we put three new ones on every week all right here were the nine that kicked off my list to start this season stolen bases and the players who steal them that, that was a good one that's important yeah it mattered in the world series <laughs> Steal a base, steal a taco. Um, number eight was reddit.com backslash r backslash MLB streams. That was the only thing that stayed on my list for the entirety of the 2019 season. <laughs> and number seven was watching baseball at work. Number six was good luck charms and superstition because I was trying to hammer out how I was going to treat my good luck charms and superstition this year for the Mets. I don't think I ever really landed on anything good, and maybe that's the reason that they just missed the playoffs. So I'm going to have to pre-plan next year. Uh, Number five, Ahmed Rosario looking happy. Number four, having an event that will get me out of the house. Number three, the concept of fair labor in baseball. (laughs) Big one. (laughs) Huge one. That one stayed on for a while, and I took it off, and I remember taking it off and being like, am I really not thinking about this? Because I think I am. Yeah, Yeah, what am I never? (laughs) Number two, fantasy baseball. (laughs) Fuck that. Uh, Parentheses. Uh, <laughs> and number one, a real game that matters with a pitching matchup of Jacob deGrom versus Max Scherzer. So if you are a Mets or a Nationals fan or you just happen to be watching this game, game one of the Mets season this year was Jacob deGrom versus Max Scherzer. And it almost turned out if the Mets found a way to just sneak into the wildcard game that it would have been deGrom versus Scherzer again in the wildcard game. I'm very sad that didn't happen. But looking back on this moment, it was just a what a great time. So young, so innocent. I know, right? We were so naive back then. I know. Your list is even more young and naive. Are you ready? Yeah. You ready to run down your nine? 
Oh, this I'm so ready. This this list was out there. I I think that it's fun kind of doing these retrospectives because we ourselves get to see like how much we just changed the concept of them like over time, you know? Like we were like we we want a space to to get away from talking about things like like labor and and all these other horrible things that plague the sport and like most of the things that ended up on my list today are those very things, but you know, what are you going to do? Can't escape it. Uh, number nine on my list. Mike Trout is going to be an angel forever. Thank God. And that's true. I do thank God for that every day. Do and you? When, and when Garrett Cole is there uh, next year, oh I, my God. I, I'm sure that Trout will be thanking God too. Um, <laughs> number eight. <laughs> the, the Rangers are selling a two pound chicken tender. If you had it this year, please email. Let us know. Number seven, Joey Votto's mustache that was a very brief time, but a glorious time it was. Number six, a lot of mustache concha. <laughs> Let's talk about Matt Chapman's mustache. It wasn't good, folks. I wasn't a fan. Although if I recall correctly, I think you were. You enjoyed it. I like it. I think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you think it's funny. I'm sure that's what he's going for. The comedic value of the mustache. Uh, Let's have him on five, the ask. All right. I'm, I'm down. First uh, question. Mustache is... All right, Matt, 97 wins, great year for the A's, another unfortunate loss in the wild card. Take me through your thought process on the mustache in the Japan <laughs> series <laughs> that you haven't had since March. He's like, uh, fuck. He's like, Johnny, what'd you send me up to do? He's like yelling at the A's PR guy. All right, number five. <laughs> number five, Jerickson Profar in an A's uniform be still my heart. Um... I got significantly more bummed out by that as the season went on. Number four, uh, Mets relationships with all of their pitchers. Real rocky one. Could could have stayed on there all season. The Mets Noah Syndergaard thing is still a ticking time bomb. Yep, absolutely. Uh, number three, so many extensions. As you may recall, there was a flurry of extensions right before the season started, and so my addendum to that was uh, that means it was definitely collusion, which you know it was. It was for sure. Number two. Baseball season is here. So are the bat flips. We got a we got a biggie from Tim Beckham in that Japan series, and it foretold some of the some of the good fun ones to come. And lastly, number one on my list, Ichiro retired. Kikuchi cried, and I got literally all of the feels. I cried too. I was there. I've I'm not gonna deny it. It's funny because you were an insane person and you stayed up for that series. You watched it in like the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what else was I going to do? I'd been deprived Sleep? of this thing for five months. I did not stay up to watch that series. Shout out to you. I... <laughs> okay. We're going to take three off our list, put three on our list, and then uh, run down everything that ended our list this season. Uh, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, I'll... I'll go I'll go ahead and kick it off. Why not? Yeah, let's get it. This is a it's a funny one this week because um I'm taking off a couple of those ones that I just wrote mostly because <laughs> I did not remember that they were still on there until I went back and did an inventory of what my list looked like. <laughs> so um coming off my list this week, Ichiro retired, Kikuchi <laughs> cried and I got all of the feels. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I like how uh, I started it off by saying that there's only one thing that stayed on my list the entire year. And you were like, the thing that like, stayed on my list all year was a thing that I forgot about in April. Six of mine are the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, while, while we're here, just while we're at this juncture, I'm going to take off extensions from my list too, because that's been on there the whole year. You're and bad then, at this. I am bad at this. I don't know why I signed myself up for it. And then bring it full circle and take off something from last week, which is Joe Buck's call on Jose Altuve's home run. It was good. I enjoyed it. But it it was far from the, the starring moment in my mind this past week. So, What did you think of his call to end the World Series? I enjoyed it. I don't know that it was particularly memorable or anything like that. But I don't, also don't think that that's like a bad thing you know like yeah i don't know man the, the this is the first title since like 1933 for washington dc <laughs> i feel like maybe he could have worked in a little more excitement but that's just me <laughs> yes i know he he he's perpetually at like 75 percent 
all of the time. Like he makes his voice like stronger, but not really any louder, you know, like he's at the same intensity all the time. Yeah. In the audio world, we call that tone and projection. (laughs) He has low energy. Yeah. He does have low energy. You got to project, man. They can't see you. They have to feel and hear you. That's Maybe, something uh, we're great at on this podcast, you know? You can really <laughs> yes. feel the excitement bursting through talking about Matt Chapman's mustache from March. You absolutely can. All right, Bobby, in the most excited way possible, tell me the three things that are coming off your list this week. Fittingly, the first thing coming off my list this week is the only thing that stayed on it all year, and that's Reddit MLB <laughs> streams. I don't have any reason to use them until 2020, which is sad. Yeah, I'm sad about that. Uh, do they? I wonder. I wonder if they do like uh, like winter league games. You know, if they stream like Venezuela league or Dominican league. I don't know. But I don't know either. But I will check, and I yeah, will. You will. I will watch the Dominican winter league. <laughs> Absolutely. I <laughs> whatever was already on, on your mind. <laughs> uh, the second thing off my list is the Tampa Bay Rays and their insistence on being underdogs. Uh, and number three is that's coming off my list is. Uh, a question that a coworker of mine asked, and that question was, are the Astros the greatest team of all time? Well, listener, no, they are not, because they did <laughs> not win the World Series. Uh, are the Nationals the greatest team of all time? No, they also are not. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go first on adding some things to my list this week, because I'm doing a little thing in the podcast world card called uh, cheating on my list, because this is our segment. Uh, and I can make up the rules if I need to. Uh, the reason I'm putting four on my list this week is because we are reading all nine at the end of the segment that finished out the 2019 regular or the 2019 baseball season, and uh, I couldn't seem to find the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> You're bad at this too. <laughs> Got lost in the shuffle, so I need to add four to make an even nine. Of course. And the thing that I'm adding to my list first this week is uh, Baby Shark and the cultural phenomenon. Just cultural phenomena in general in baseball, I think are really, they're like so quaint and like uh, analog, you know, like things that go viral in baseball, it takes no level of understanding of the digital age or like, you don't need to understand Twitter beef. You don't need to be on Instagram. You don't really even need to be on Twitter. You just need to watch like local news and you click on that local news and it's like baby shark some local news reporter, Fox five is like the nationals have been doing baby shark ever since Gerardo Parra got traded over. And it's like, that is the cultural phenomenon that we're talking about in the world series. Meanwhile, like it's been a week into the NBA season Carl Anthony towns and Joel Embiid already got into a fist fight and then had a Twitter and Instagram beef afterwards of which a boomer would not understand any of that. But you know what a boomer would understand baby shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the thing that's going to bring us all together. Honestly, baby shark for president 2020. The, the centrist we need. Honestly. Uh okay, what's first on to your list this week? Uh first on to my list this week was something that was retweeted onto my timeline uh late last night or early this morning. And that is a a look back on the decade in World Series champions. This is obviously the the last year of oh, the decade. Wow. If you didn't know, it is it's 2019. Next year is 2020. That's New something decade. that I didn't consider. Yeah, it's not something that I uh, I considered either. But uh but let's just run through the the we list. Should of, have done something around that. Yeah. It would have been a good idea. I guess we, we still can. Yeah, the decade's not over yet. <laughs> we got a couple months. <laughs> um here's a list of the teams who won the World Series in the 2010s, the San Francisco Giants, the St. Louis Cardinals, the San Francisco Giants, the Boston Red Sox, San Francisco Giants, the Kansas City Royals, Chicago Cubs, Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, and finally, the Washington Nationals. And all I want to say is, oh, what a brutal decade yeah, for that's World a Series, sucky man. List. That is <laughs> I was miserable. getting ready to say, it's just a villain after villain. That is just we the Nationals came from the top rope to just kind of save the save the decade from not being entirely lost to history. But I guess but we finished the decade making Brett Kavanaugh happy. <laughs> oh yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's not like the A's one or like the Mariners or I don't know, even like, like, I think I would have been happy even if like the Orioles won or <laughs> yeah. like anyone that like all, a ton of other teams could have won that would have been more uh, exciting and pure. And meanwhile, we just have a list of like the fucking Giants and the Cardinals. Yeah, this is like if you ask me, all right, top five teams you don't want to win the World Series this year. Like four of them are on that list. <laughs> they're like, yeah, pretty much all here, except for what, maybe the, the Yankees, Yankees, depending on where your allegiances <laughs> lie. I don't care that strongly. I I'd much prefer to see the the Astros or the or the Cubs or the the Giants lose the World Series. But anyway, all this to say that um that uh we can do better. America. We really can. Let's have a White Sox World Series in 2020. Let's have a Mets World Series in 2020. Let's have an Oakland A's World Series in 2020. These are these are the things that we can do. You know who pops out to me looking back on teams that I'm amazed that they didn't come out of this decade with a World Series? Who? The Texas Rangers. Yeah. They had so many good teams. Those 2011 uh, and 2012 teams were loaded and somehow, some way, they were felled by the mighty, mighty powers of David fucking Freeze. Yeah. And they just couldn't get over the hump. Them and them and the Dodgers. I mean, like they were the Dodgers before the Dodgers, you know. We forget that yeah. there was a team that made it back to back and lost both times. Yeah. Before I mean, the, the Dodgers this decade. The difference with the Dodgers is like they're still well built enough that like they're going to compete next year and the year after that but certainly like you look back at the last few years and you're like how have they not just lucked into it once yeah they're going to compete when they trade for francisco lindor in january (laughs) yeah they are (laughs) love to concentrate the good players on fewer and fewer and fewer teams i actually do just fuck it just have one baseball team (laughs) every Um, game that the dodgers are in is like an all-star game (laughs) It'd be fun. Whatever. Just We're make just it watching happen. batting practice of the Dodgers in prime time. <laughs> All right. What is going up next on your list this week? Uh, so when you started to read a tweet that was retweeted onto your timeline, I was concerned that you were going to read the tweet that is next on my list. Um, and well, the thing that is going up next on my list is Sean Doolittle, World Series champion, comma, Democratic Socialist of America member. Of course. I saw this on my timeline a couple days ago where DSA quote tweeted Sean Doolittle's tweet and said, congratulations to Nationals pitcher Sean Doolittle on your World Series victory. We thank DSA member Sean and his wife Erin for their work with the MLB Players Union and for supporting unionized new era factory workers' rights. And I just got to say, I love to see representation of my ideology in the world. You know, I don't get to see it very frequently (laughs) in baseball. And... Maybe this is a watershed moment for socialists winning in baseball. What do you think? I think so. I, it feels like the dam is about to break, you know? Like, it's it, it all it takes is one. We got to get one D- DSA member on every single MLB team before the 2030 World Series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then That's we'll work a really on getting low one bar. Of the commissioners see. That's a really <laughs> low bar. Yeah. I, I like, so uh, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, Doolittle came out um, pretty much immediately after the Nationals said they would visit the White House and said that he would be declining to visit. And um, and there were people in the replies who were like, you know, g- good to know that he's a communist, like never going to root for him. To to which I say, like, do you know do you know nothing about Sean Doolittle? This is this is when you learned that he has some radical ideologies. Like Jesus, my guy. Also, you don't have to root for him. He doesn't need you to root for him. He just yeah, won the World he's Series. He's just fine. He's, he's got a ring. I'm sure without he'll be okay your without your fandom. <laughs> yeah. We might ask him that if we can ever convince him to come on this here podcast. Yeah, one day. Okay, next on your list. All right, next on my list is uh, certainly a bit more of a somber one, but I would be remiss not to mention it because we've had on writers from this website mm. and uh, and we've used it as a as a source for things to talk about and and to what i am referring is the the untimely death of deadspin killed just murdered by a by vulture venture capitalists and uh and just and just shitty people who wanted to who wanted to watch a good thing burn um they 
it was actually on the day of game seven that everything unfolded and there was the mass exodus of staffers in solidarity with um, a firing of the longest tenured member over there at Deadspin. And, um, and on the one hand, it was a really inspiring show of solidarity between people and a really principled and incredibly courageous thing to do to stand up to management like that. And on the other hand, I'm just so fucking mad and so sad that that is the way that it had to end. I, I, I suppose it's better than the alternative of like the site being gutted. You know, the, the fact that these staffers got to walk out with like their heads held high is really admirable, but it's going to re- leave a really, really big hole in the sports reporting world because it was, it was, it was truly one of a kind. There are very few, if any, websites out there doing the kind of important sports journalism that was needed. So pour one out. Deadspin was a good website. Deadspin was a very good website. Yeah. Um, that shit is scary, man. That you can do your job so well. You can build everything that they tell you that you need to build in the, the new media era, which is a devoted fan base. Um, a voice, a corner of the internet, a large fucking corner of the internet that ends up being influential to pretty much everywhere else. Like former Deadspin members have gone on to crazy places like the New York Times and influenced how, um, you know, like they've gone in reverse and influenced how legacy media operates. And to see it gutted by Geo Media for almost no other reason than greed and pettiness and stupidity is insanely frustrating and insanely scary as somebody who works in media um seeing it trending towards this direction but i think everything you said is right i think the fact that they were able to walk out on their own terms and shout out to them for articulating so well um everything that's gone on calling out the bullshit where it needs to be called out coming from the CEO of geo media. And it's been so weird to watch it unfold step by step because of like the way that they can just tweet what's happening, the way that a dead cast came out yesterday, the way that like they're writing satirical blog posts about being told to stick to sports. Like it's so it's been so jarring to watch it all. But um, yeah, we, we should not let this podcast finish without saying that at the beginning stages and the embryo stages for sure, and the first couple months of episodes, we would just boot up deadspin.com and be like, what's going on in the baseball world? What are some snarky thoughts that people are having and how can we <laughs> react to them? Uh, and so it was integral in formulating a voice for our show. And I think uh, remained integral going (laughs) and reading from Deadspin blog posts when we were talking about things that happened in the baseball world, because it was just the only place where you could go to get brutally honest, but really, really smart thoughts about the stupidity of the fucking suits that run the sport we love. And the fact that that doesn't exist on the internet anymore or only exists in different ways and smaller doses at other places um it's really sad yeah i think the the i mean there's there's really no silver lining to this but what i will say is that i think it has had such a profound influence on the way that we look at and treat and react to sports whether it's something as you know even if it's something as small as like literally this podcast right like validating the stuff that we feel about the sport that we're watching i feel confident that its voice will remain incredibly strong throughout all the the staffers that have gone on to do other things and the the little dumb baseball podcasts that come out every week that you talk about players licking bats and that sort of thing you know um it's so dead's been forever fists raised high shout out to them shout out to those workers shout out to their union shout out to those union members standing together standing strong I wish them all the best of luck. All right. The next thing on my list is the state of fair labor in baseball, which is a thing that was on my list when we started this season and 
got taken off and I am now adding it back on because we are about to get an off season that is, I don't know, exactly like last off season, maybe worse than last off season because it feels like we, the ball is on the other side of the hill, man. We're just going downhill until something changes, you know, until someone steps in and takes the ball off its path right now because there's no reason there's been no accountability for owners to spend more. And so it feels like there's going to be three guys max who are going to get big contracts and everyone's going to be like, look at all this spending. Everything is fine. But then the guys who are on shorter contracts, the guys who are on smaller contracts are just going to continue to struggle to make what they're worth in this market. And I don't really know if that's going to change this offseason. I definitely don't think it will. And for that reason, I got to add it onto my list because I'm starting to think now we're about to enter the dark period of three months where we're like, who's going to sign next? Is someone going to sign next? Why isn't every team offering Garrett Cole a Brinks truck? Why are good players not being signed to teams that supposedly want to contend? I'm prepared to buckle down and get frustrated every week. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there is no reason why we should expect anything to change from last year. Uh, What's going to be the title belt of 2019? <laughs> God. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. Before I start yelling, please. <laughs> What's what's the last thing you're adding to your list? All right, the last thing that I'm adding to my list, I suppose somehow relates to that very point that you were making, and that is Garrett Cole's media interaction post World Series. This is the fourth thing that I'm adding to my list. Oh. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Go ahead, continue, and then I'll kind of say my addendum to it. Well, so Garrett Cole following the Nationals World Series win was was asked, you know, by media members um, to speak with the press, and he initially declined. He basically said, "Do I do I have to? I'm I'm no longer employed by this team. <laughs> like, do I do I have to talk to you guys?" <laughs> and so had weird. this kind of and kind of had this um, push and pull with the Astros like PR guy, and eventually he decided to to speak to the media, but not before donning a a Boris Corp hat Boris obviously referring to the one and only Scott Boris who will who is about to control the next 5 months of our lives but he basically did this interview with with a giant middle finger to the Astros organization being like <laughs> I'm no longer employed for you I I owe you nothing. I don't have to represent you or talk for you anymore. And he basically, he said as much in that interview and he did go on to Twitter and thank Astros fans for, a, you know, a great season and, uh, and, and called the Astros organization a pleasure to play for. But I gotta say he's, he's right. 100%. Like he, he's absolutely in the right here. Um, especially with the way that, labor in baseball has trended over the last couple decades and a, a real lack of loyalty towards players and just treating them. I mean, the Astros should know, right? Just treating players like numbers on a spreadsheet. And a lot of fans were really upset at Cole and being like, wow, like, come on, like, it's just after the World Series, like, you were still a big part of this team, blah, 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 like, fuck you. But it's it's like... <laughs> This team came out and basically said they weren't going to try and re-sign him. So if they're not going to show any sort of loyalty to him after all he did this year, potentially netting himself a Cy Young Award, we'll see. Like, what what does he owe them? And the answer is nothing. The answer is absolutely nothing. And so I am happy and proud that he actually stood up for himself and basically said, you know what? Like, from here on out, I make I make my own decisions. I owe you jack shit. Yeah, I'm. I was, I was smitten with his post game <laughs> press conference because I have spent all season watching, if not watching his full start, watching highlights of all of his starts. He's been the player of my eye. Seeing him come out and do all that and say like, "I don't know you guys shit." Honestly, the fact that Jim Crane made this into a thing before this playoffs was really unprofessional and really stupid. Um, and Garrett Cole handled it with grace. He handled it by performing on the field, 
and he doesn't need to come back to this team. He's learned everything he needs to learn from this team. There's nothing else that they can give him if they're not going to give him the most money because he's going to go to the team that pays him the most money. He's not going to go to the Angels if they're going to shortchange him. He's not going to go back to the Astros just because he had a good year. And he's not going to go to the Mets because he wants to be in New York. Like, it's not... Yeah, it's not about the narrative. No, there is no (laughs) narrative here. There is dollars and cents, and there is what Garrett Cole deserves and what he should be paid. And the thing that's fourth on my list, I'll just get into it because it's basically the exact same thing. I just wrote Boris Corp. Because he's going to control, like you said, the next five months of our lives. We're going to be talking a lot about what Scott Boris said. He's going to make a lot of the discussion. He's going to control the narrative on a lot of things. And fine, that's okay with me. Because he is trying to get the guys that he represents as much money as possible. And basically the only people that get what they're worth now are Boris clients. Are guys that are in that top tier. And that's not good but it's better than nobody getting it. It's better than Jim Crane getting it or Ted Lerner getting it. (laughs) Like I am happy that Garrett Cole came out and was basically just like, you know, fuck your little social mores. Fuck what you think I should be saying graciously after. I mean, it's not like he was like coming out and being antagonistic or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're reading into it a lot, but I think we're but, reading but into it something was that's very there. much just a rebuking of the team. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And his message on social media was nice. And I'm sure all of that was true. Every Astros fan that I've ever met seems great. Like they seem really into the team. They seem happy to have had Garrett Cole <laughs> because who wouldn't be? Um, but yeah, Boris Corp. That's the final thing adding on my list. The fourth thing on my list. Do you want to run down these nine really quickly? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, a reflection on the on the 2019 season. What our what our final nine looks like? Okay, my nine, not in order because I didn't take the time to put it in order. the uh, The confluence of postseason narratives, information overload, Gary Sanchez not being allowed to throw the ball back <laughs> to his pitcher. <laughs> uh, analytics is destroying baseball. A quote from Jalen Rose. Uh, a radical proposal to slash the number of minor league teams. Baby Shark, Sean Doolittle, the state of fair labor in baseball, and motherfucking Scott Boris Corp. Hell yeah. <laughs> what a weird <laughs> All... collection of things. <laughs> <laughs> like seven really serious things and then like Baby Shark. <laughs> uh, all right. Here is what my nine looks like. I'm like, I'm like 75 sure that's right although you know there's probably a bookkeeping error or two in here um the list goes the arbitration belt the the vaunted arbitration belt (laughs) um adam eaton just being vehemently anti-labor and anti-minor leaguers getting paid what they're worth um seriously fuck that guy (laughs) yeah for real the good guys quote unquote um a, a very good braves commercial that celebrated non-men both playing and just enjoying the game of baseball uh marred by how they handled the the tomahawk chop controversy in the offseason but the message doesn't ring any less true i think um a an anonymous philly scout on Odubel herrera and some incredibly racist shit just just evergreen stuff here in baseball uh the the concept of cc sabathia and the joy that he has brought all of us in his career. Love how beautiful the sport of baseball is to watch on TV. Still believe it. Always will. And then finally, Deadspin. What a what a horrendous decade for World Series winners. And Garrett Cole just flipping the bird to his owner. Shouts out the the pro labor pitcher that we need. You wanted a ne- another socialist in baseball? Maybe it's Garrett Cole. I don't yeah. know, man. He's from Southern about California. To get, and is about to get paid $300 million. <laughs> I have this terrible feeling that the team paying that is going to be the Philadelphia Phillies, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. I can only handle one very wealthy, very white guy with nice long hair on that team. Well, if you wanted honesty, that's all you have to say. All right. This is our, this is our first off-season pod. We focused mainly on the past nine months but i guess we will turn towards the future now i think we are planning on and hoping to try some fun things in this off season try to have some more really good guests 
Um, I'm really happy and thankful for all the people who came on during this season, especially in the last couple months um, leading up to the playoffs and during the playoffs, which is a really fun thing for us. Um, if there's someone that you are following on Twitter who writes about baseball, who talks about baseball, and you're like, that person should go on Tipping Pitches, they would have an electric con- conversation, an electric connection. Reach out, Tipping underscore Pitches on Twitter. Hit us with the mention. Hit us with the DM. Um, we're happy to try new stuff, and uh, it would mean a lot if you engaged, told a friend, gave us a rating on iTunes, any of that stuff. Yeah, I, and I just want to say thanks to our listeners for uh, for enjoying this baseball season with us and sticking around this far if you, if you made it this far, because uh, we enjoy to the extent that we can um, logging on each week and talking about these things uh, silly or serious as they may be and um, and we we hope you enjoy hearing us blabber on about it and if you don't you know you you know what our email is hit us up let <laughs> us know let us know what we need to work on but um but seriously thank you all for for tuning in this year because it's been it's been a pleasure as always it's a pleasure and as always we will see you next week thanks all. So.